0: We are taking you behind the scenes of the National Institute for Data Science and Artificial Intelligence.
1: With unprecedented access to the scientists pushing boundaries and shaping our future, this show will take you to the cutting edge and beyond.
0: And whether you're an expert yourself or just science curious, this is the show for you. Welcome to the Turing Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Cheering Podcast. I'm your host, Ed, and I'm here with Aoife. Hi, Aoife.
2: Hey, Ed. How's it going?
1: Not too bad. How are you?
2: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you.
1: Um, And today we're joined by our guests, Kate Heinem and Miles Foley, both of whom are PhD candidates at Imperial College London. They work at the intersection of machine learning and cybersecurity, and they were part of a team who last year won the CAGE Challenge, CAGE being an acronym for cyber autonomy gym for experimentation with their reinforcement learning based solution uh kate and miles welcome to the podcast
2: hi hi
1: um so before we get started and talking about the cage challenge in your research um maybe you can just tell us a bit about yourselves how you came to be doing a phd and working at the alan Turing institute uh, miles do you want to go first
2: uh started uh getting into kind of like machine learning in my undergrad so i did a project on reinforcement learning uh trying to do packet routing for networks um and i found it really really interesting and it was around the time where uh reinforcement learning and deep reinforcement learning was really starting to to pick up uh so that would have been like what 2017 um 2018 29 What
1: year are we in now 2023 2023
2: So, so good for A couple years of years ago, ago yeah um <laughs> More than a couple of years ago More now. than a couple of <laughs> years ago Yeah, it's terrifying. But anyway, Um, and then I got involved in some like uh, data science and uh, did some work around security. Uh, And I then found that I really, really wanted to work on these kind of things. And I didn't know really where to do that. Uh, So I decided that a PhD was the best option for me. Um, And then, well, actually, the the reason why I ended up getting involved with the Turing Institute is actually because of Kate, um, who told me about some people who were working here. Um, who are now uh, head of the AI for Cyber Defense team uh, uh, project leads. Um, And they were looking for people to do some work related to it. Um, So with that, I'll pass off to Kate.
0: Yeah. So I got into machine learning back in 2017. So I was working as a data engineer at a bank in the States. And I Really liked data analysis, and I knew I wanted to come do a PhD at some point, and so I um, managed to get onto this Center for Machine Learning team and started learning the basics, and then thought I'd take the time to get a PhD and really learn a lot more as to the fundamentals and how the algorithms actually work. Um, that brought me to the UK and I, an Imperial, and then I've just continued that kind of line of thought and now look at data quality for machine learning and training models. And that's what my PhD is in. Um, and I fell in love with the Alan Turing Institute when I found this area and this these people that were so active in cybersecurity and applied cybersecurity as I knew it. Um, and after having a few conversations and coming to several events, I got in as an enrichment student and then kind of poked miles until he followed me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's this team I think that really has kept us involved with the institute and the research that's ongoing right now. It's been, it's been really fun.
2: It has, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, getting to work on these kind of things is not often that we get to kind of collaborate with people who are really interested in this kind of work. Can you,
1: can you tell us a bit about the the team. Well,
0: mind Drake um, is My, mine, mind mind Drake mind Drake mind like Drake Mand- Mandrake, like the plant, okay? But like okay. Mind instead um <laughs> fun little team name we came Mandrake up with. actually this
1: is a bit of um pop culture reference but reminds me of harry potter do you remember that yeah, that was where yeah, it yeah,
0: came yeah. from no, it's because we sat in a room and we said, when oh, no, yeah,
1: right. someone us screaming,
0: I <laughs> 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 thought would be us yeah. <laughs> as we're coding. No, <laughs> I mean, we said we needed a team name, and so I said, "Okay, let's all sit around and pick four random words that come to mind." And so someone said "brain," someone said, brain, someone said "neural network," someone said "dragon," and then eventually we kind of I mashed them all together, and we we just said like someone cracked drink. a joke about. Um, Chris and I were reminiscing earlier. He's Chris and Vass are the other two members. Um... In the leads of AICD uh, here, and they
2: because Chris made the joke about um, Drake, one of them the was was it Drake the
0: rapper?
2: I thought yeah. it was the plant, and I then mean, the
0: plant, and then it was yeah. The, yeah
2: based off of the plant, and then it's like ah, oh, it's like the frustration that you get sometimes when, when things right. don't necessarily yeah, work out how you Harry want Potter them to. Was, yeah, um, I mean that with yeah mind Drake.
0: Yeah, oh, which right. is a really cute logo Drake, right, of like yeah. a brain with like little leaves coming out of its head, yeah. which we've now got professionally designed. And sweaters inbound.
2: Yeah. And stickers too. Yeah. Amazing.
1: We'll the pass floor. them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so for the mindrake team, is that the same team that was tackling the cage challenge? And um we uh we, we spoke to you a bit last year about this, but um you mentioned before we started recording that You've now participated in several times, and you've definitely won at least once, I think.
2: Yeah, so the the initial team was the four of us, so it was Kate, uh, Chris, Vass, and myself. Um, and then we won the, the first challenge, which was the Network Defense Challenge. Um, and then there was a second version of it, and we placed...
0: I in the top third, five. third fourth and fifth
2: yeah so mm. we had three
0: submissions and that was competition is within... hotting up then <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there was a lot more competition which was really fun to see that much investment right yeah. grow in the community um and it was with a master's student and a guest researcher yep. that joined the team so it wasn't just us and i actually had a i had a lot of work coming up in my phd so i had to step away for a bit um and then there was i watched from afar Wait, th-
2: <laughs> you, you were with us in spirit <laughs> yes um, always <laughs> your your software development practice um i was called in to, to yell missed. at yeah yeah <laughs> <GitHub> <laughs> to, yell at, to yell at me for when i do the wrong commit <laughs> so what are the um if you don't mind me asking what are the setups like for the the kids challenge then is it like you sit down for
0: a week hackathon style or how do they work Ah, oh, that's a great question um so, see if you can remember it was something like Two and a half, three months prior yeah. to the deadline of the competition, it'd been out for, I think, a couple months already. I think, well, yeah, by the
2: time that we got uh, involved, it had been released for like a month or two.
0: Yeah. And, and
2: who's, who's doing the
1: releasing? Who's this set up by? There's
0: a team in Australia. Yes. But it was sponsored uh-huh. by the Five Eyes, which is. Ah, uh, yes, uh, right, right. Australian,
2: New Zealand, New Zealand, Canada, New Zealand Canada, Canada, the US, yes. and the UK. Yes.
0: And you. they
1: put out this challenge just sort of for anyone to have a go at. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: sadly no prize money but <laughs> <laughs> right okay it was one of the few gyms that we'd seen right that did true autonomous the cyber defense safe is
1: surely you know you know reward enough i suppose yeah. <laughs> i mean you gotta
0: walk around saying we got first and get to be on a podcast so you know yeah. it, it could definitely be worse <laughs> twice, <laughs> twice.
2: <laughs> yeah um yeah so it, it was released beforehand and then you submit your um like implementation and then they test it and verify that you got the results that you say that you got and we did. Um,
0: yeah, and so the, yeah. the gym setup was also quite unique, right? We hadn't quite mm. seen anyone so, really gamify network security.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, because in like reinforcement learning, you tend to have these kind of like environments or gyms, as they're generally called, where you try to train and have uh, an agent interact with uh, the environment. And then, as Kate says, it was one of the few that we saw, which was kind of a, a promising uh implementation and very realistic so you could do it in kind of like simulation and you could just run it on your laptop or if you wanted to um you could then use this same setup and host it on servers on like an aws uh cluster so you could do it in real time
0: and the setting itself was very realistic yeah so it was um uh,
2: three subnets
0: three subnets and 13 hosts so what that means is like servers and laptops interconnected to kind of mimic what a company or any kind of organization might have and then what we were tasked with was designing a blue agent to defend and then they had some kind of red agent that would start attacking the system and so slowly you had to figure out using set actions um how do you develop a way of defending without knowing who is attacking.
1: Yeah. So just to back up and yeah, add some lay people speak to this. So Great. what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: like, what other power ranges are coming in? Next? <laughs> oh yeah, we have blue agent and red about. agent.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. um Well, let's come to blue and red agent in a second. But so what we're talking about here is like effectively defending against hacking attempts. Yeah. Yes. So you've got a simulated computer network and so I'll, I'll say how what i think you mean and then you can correct me mm-hmm. so i think your uh, red agent is you know an imaginary hacker so yeah. in this mm-hmm. case maybe it's an it's a bot or maybe it's a person but your blue agent is your reinforcement learning program that's designed to protect um the network from the hacker yeah, is that yeah exactly
2: correct? exactly
0: if we want a really simple analogy i think last time i said a dungeon but we'll go with um maybe like a house in a house yeah in like a house a, with, with with a yard and maybe a farm kind of attached to mm-hmm. it so it's like the first line of defense you know you could come in through various gates that maybe or the roads that you have access to um and so as the blue agent you're trying to figure out how do i protect my property yeah.
2: how do i make sure that all the fences and gates are locked mm-hmm. um
0: and then there's, like, layers to get to the actual yeah. house where maybe the money is stored, right? So they're trying to get into find where the mm. money is, but you have to many layers of defense. And so this red agent, you don't know if they're a fully trained thief or mm. whether they're just someone who happens to be passing by.
2: And will chance their luck and try to steal what you've got at home. If
0: they just meander through your yard. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so
1: so, so in, in terms of what that looked like, so when you, you came across the challenge and... There's this sort of environment that is like the the network, or, or you can set up the network. Um, in terms of the reg agent, is this just sort of a, a a programmed AI bot that can behave in like a few different ways?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of different versions of it. Um, that they they implemented for for this. So they, I think they originally trialed it with two main agents. Two plus. Um, plus, yeah so there was a uh, an agent which had some prior knowledge of of the network or of the layout of the farm and it would then go straight for the objective of um the like the prize server which hosts the keys to the kingdom right um or like the safe in the in the house and then there was a, a second adversary which had like no knowledge of it and this attacker would just kind of like meander through and it would slowly develop its knowledge of the network structure and then move its way through to finally get to this uh, oper- operational server um, which is trying to compromise um, but there was also this this third agent so as kind of like a um, a baseline sanity check, um, there was an agent which was would just sit on the network and just do nothing um, right. to make sure that you weren't just kind of like banging on all the doors. and um, Nailing you know,
0: all th- the doors shut. Nailing all the doors shut. Um,
2: <laughs> resetting everyone's machine every five minutes. Right,
0: um, right.
2: Yeah. Security people, I think, often get a, a lot of um, uh, bad rap for being like, please update your password. Please make sure everything is updated. Um, I know I'm not the best for it myself. Um, but yeah, yeah it,
1: it makes sense what you're saying because obviously the best way to prevent a hacking attempt would be to just turn off all the computers. Yeah, then no one can hack into it. Right?
2: Exactly. Yeah, 100 percent safe. There might
1: be some other. <laughs> there might be some other downsides to that. Yeah, <laughs>
2: usability might go down a little bit, um, <laughs> which might be a problem.
0: <laughs> but yeah, and then the challenge itself was um, in any scenario that they throw you into, can your blue agent defend against yeah. any three of well, those? Three. Right.
2: So, so you don't know which one you're going to get. Um, mm when it comes to like this evaluation so can you try and make something which will defend against all of them uh, was then the the main challenge um, so
0: um whenever you say scenario do you mean just in terms of like your network layout or is there more complexities to it than that I think of it as like a stage in a video game mm-hmm. and it's like you always get checkpointed at the very beginning so the intruder is entered and then you just play it out but you don't know who has come in and then you see how well you do and so then you want to test it again, maybe against some other random person. Um, you'll just restart the episode at that checkpoint, is what we mean. Yeah, okay. yeah, no problem. from.
1: So when it came to um, evaluating the performance, was uh, and, and you know testing you against other teams uh, the first time when you won, uh, and and in subsequent times, like how, how did that happen? And um, yeah, was it was there a sort of like hackathon day, or was this or you were you just all submitting your solutions online somehow?
0: I guess we didn't fully answer your question (laughs)
2: earlier. So, yeah, it was just a, it turned into kind of like a hackathon towards the end, um, I think, for the last day or two. More Um, so in
0: the second and third. I think the first one, we were actually pretty well paced.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think we were were verifying things. No, we were. But um, we had already submitted. But it wasn't
1: like an organized thing where you met other teams and so on.
0: No, no, we actually, we
2: We never met any conversations um, with any any of the the other teams. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think a few people have come up to us and been like, oh, I competed as well. And we just didn't know yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always been more of what is the problem and can we design a solution, but also what is the state of the art research in this yeah. area? Yeah, exactly. So like, I know for the second one, especially, right, you guys were looking at state space representations. Yeah,
2: we were trying to look at, Um. so you've got the, the way in which the network is represented is in uh, a couple of different ways. So they give you this very, very large vector of, Um, like processes running on machines and um, the IP addresses of all of them and where they are and their host names and it's like this very large very complex vector and we were like we don't really know what to do with this but surely there's some useful information in there somewhere Um, so we tried figuring out some ways to better represent that so that the agent would have a more concise understanding of it Um, I think as it turned out that it wasn't particularly helpful (laughs) <laughs> um if i remember correctly
1: so you were trying to give it sort of like a helping hand to play the game yeah exactly. like
0: giving yeah. it sunglasses to help the sun, out <laughs> kind of thing so it wouldn't be so noisy and hard to see right. what it really needed to look at
1: right um yeah i mean I, I don't know much about reinforcement learning but i wonder if um is it better to to, to have it to have more information rather than
2: less so to- ah that is oh <laughs> the eternal gosh. question yeah um, <laughs> um i mean to some extent yes you want to have more information but you want it to be useful information hence data um, quality <laughs> yeah yeah hence data and my quality. phd
0: <laughs>
1: right right Well, so
0: te- te- <laughs> i mean
1: tell us a bit about that like what do you mean by data quality and how's it applied to this context
0: yeah so i mean it's it's mostly about um what is good signal and quantifying that is really, really hard. But there are several points of bias that we can point out in our data sets. And by identifying them, then what can we do? So for instance, right, if I find that two things are correlated, if I am starting to predict that if one increases then the other one is also going to increase, that should be a good trend, right? But what if I've only got a data set where that's the case? But in real life, if I taken infinite samples from the environment i might have found that that's not necessarily the case yeah and that's just one form of bias
1: so you've done the scientific process really well but because of the the data set you started with was a poor representation of reality you've come to a false conclusion
0: yeah and especially in security we're always asking ourselves what is a good representation of our reality Mm. right because if we say i can beat these three attackers Well, I could think of 50 other ones that we could try to go up against. And are they good? Are they representative? Are they going to help our defenses become better? Mm. Answering that is impossible. A very (laughs) difficult question. The (laughs) The
1: data in this case is like their strategy and like what moves they sort of make. Is that right?
0: It's kind of like if you wanted to be good at sword fighting. Yeah. And you have one teacher. Is that... Does that mean that you're going to be like the best sword fighter ever? Or would you be better at sword fighting if you practice against multiple people? Probably. And if so, does <laughs> it matter who those people are? Because if I just pull people off the street, you're not going to get better. Yeah, but I think if day so from I...
2: down the road is going to be very good to fight against. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe. But I mean, this is like the whole point of RL as well, right? What environments we train them in will help dictate how well they will do in the real life scenarios that we throw them into.
2: Yeah yeah very well. very yeah I, I would agree with that and the kind of so coming back to i guess the data for what it is in the uh, in this particular like uh, challenge in the k challenge was uh, so it's a series of observations that you see And the observations are like from the network. So as I said earlier, there's like this large vector of things that you can use. Um, Or there's a simplified, like a significantly uh, simplified version of it, which I think we ended up using with a little bit of modification to uh, represent it slightly differently. So we had like, um, OK, well, is it it's useful perhaps to know if the last action you took to maybe reboot a machine or to get a user off of the device, uh, if that worked or not? If there's a, an adversary who's got like a suspicious user on your machine, you want to know if they're still there or not. Um, so we added in some things like that. And I think we, we... It's
0: a bit of memory.
2: Yeah, a little bit of memory. We, we played around with trying to use um, like temporal structures. So understanding of like the continuous time sequences uh, as well.
0: It's like playing chess, right? So sometimes it's good to make local changes that might be winning the game or getting some pieces out of your way yeah but in the long run does that actually make a difference and that's also part of what we had to deal with right
2: yeah exactly as Um, well as
0: to encourage them to discover new yeah so strategies
2: new new strategies as well is a um potentially like difficult thing to try and get them to to learn so one of the things we try to do is there's this notion in reinforcement learning of like curiosity and of curious agents so you want to incentivize them uh much like maybe with a young child to go off and explore and to learn um from from their own experiences uh, so we we used a little bit of that as well. So we had these kind of like curious agents, which are rewarded for seeing things which they haven't seen before um, so that they will adapt better to different scenarios and uh, different challenges later on down the line.
0: I feel like we've gone down so many tangents. Yeah. <laughs> <It's really laughs> yeah. Contain ourselves. We're so excited <laughs> to talk about it.
2: <laughs> no, sure. Um,
1: I, I guess um, I'm just trying to remember how this has been described to me before, but there's like um, this sort of, what you were describing there was like a, hey, um, a non greedy strategy is that right so there's one strategy which could be like um in this whatever game i'm playing as 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 a reinforcement learning agent i know that i've scored points this way so i'm just going to keep doing that or stuff like that and another way would be like what you're saying which is be curious be you know do things which might seem to have a lower score but you're exploring more of the possible space in the game you're playing
2: exactly right yeah so you're trying to, yeah, trying to get that kind of like baked in so that when you, when you take this kind of like greedy best action, that is also synonymous with or related to this exploration to find new things.
0: <laughs> and there's an algorithm for it. <laughs> there's a whole yeah. It's a,
2: there's, 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 are they multiple
0: or there multiple? There are several algorithms for it, say. yeah.
1: Yeah, I think, it, it, you know, explaining the inner workings of algorithms is beyond the scope of the Turing podcast. But, I, I think that's but, reasonable. Uh,
0: but it's interesting <laughs> but it's, right, that we're trying to quantify curiosity yeah. and quantify the way in which we give rewards and and encourage learning in a certain manner. Mm. And that's, I think, the part of RL that I find truly fascinating.
1: I, I was going to ask a sort of broader question then. Um, so we're sort of, we might be familiar from like the news of um, you know deep minds and others using reinforcement learning for playing games like chess and go Mm. and beating human players of that but those are obviously very like uh you know they're although they're very complex games potentially they are games with certain rules that don't vary um when you're like modeling something like a, a computer network which could you know in the real world be highly varied you know infinitely varied i guess um how do you like based on your own work so far and what you've seen like how well do you do you see reinforcement learning or or other types of ai being useful for these kinds of like real world tasks like defending a computer network
2: that's that's a difficult question (laughs) um (laughs) how well do i see it working for stuff like that i think um i think it depends on a couple of things i think the the main one um, which I was talking to some people about recently is actually data quality, and trying to get these so large these large quantities of data that we can actually like try and uh, train these models on. Whether that looks like a reinforcement learning agent or a large language model, something similar to like the Chat GPT of network defense um, is something that we um, probably would, would like to see maybe at some point down the line. Um, what, what do you mean by that? How? Uh, so, ooh, so. <laughs> What do I mean by Were that? Were
1: you typing into the chatbot, please defend against hackers? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, can you stop them breaking in? That would be great. Yeah. Um, I would love to see No, but people that.
0: have taken ChatGPT and like, given it code samples and said, is this vulnerable?
2: Yeah. Right. There's a couple of different versions of it which are for penetration testing. So this is trying to find, uh, similar to like what the red agents in the case challenge are doing, is trying to find the vulnerabilities within the network. Right. Um, so
0: right. they've hooked it's it up. Throwing things at it until yeah. it breaks.
2: Yeah. Um, I
1: mean... Presumably, in the large language, well, or in the ChatGPT case, that's just sort of searching its database of like text from the internet, which includes articles about, um, you know, common hacking attempts.
2: Potentially, yes, but then you Maybe. move into the, the the more specific, like security-based thing, which is, can I make use of the network logs or? um the traffic that's going around of the packets on on our network who's on the network what are their behaviors like
1: but is it not picking that up from like someone's blog that it's got in this database like like a network security blog
0: if yeah but those those blogs they vary in technicality right and it's also tailored as well to the system in which the data was collected in the first place so there's a bunch of bias to go back (laughs) um and that can be hard to try and find conclusive things Mm -hmm. like if i said is this enough information to tell if this code is vulnerable probably not but Mm -hmm. it could indicate if it had certain strings on that blog post that were also present in my own code then it might flag it right but if i'm maybe i gave it a snippet that says a list of these codes or these strings that could be in that blog post and then Mm -hmm. it says oh well it's vulnerable because these strings are the same But really, I could be designing a detection algorithm that's scanning for those strings as well. It's not vulnerable. So it could be misled is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of misnomers that unless you truly understand the context, it's really hard to be able to extrapolate and then apply it. So like in one of my roles when I was working... Um, prior to my PhD, uh, was as a cyber threat huntress. It was one of the coolest jobs I've done. I kid you not, (laughs) (laughs) professional title.
1: (laughs) Cyber threat huntress.
0: Yeah. So our job was to take recent reports of security attacks that are things that might be going on and then see how that might look on our own systems. So if we heard a report that some state actors are targeting financial companies in the u.s to i don't know exploit some kind of service Mm. then we would go through logs and figure out and hypothesize what would this look like for us you try to do it and you try and manually search for so we call ourselves the proactive defense
1: Mm.
0: very cool role (laughs) definitely (laughs) an inspiration to do more data science
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's um thinking of blue team red team or mm. blue agent red agent there's also black hat and white hat right so, yeah we talked about this last yeah. time yeah. As well. this is this is so you, in this case you're the the white hat,
0: hat so in, technically we were purple in that case oh because it's, yeah 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 you know primary colors <laughs> um so blue team right is defense red team is offense so attacking um typically red teams as we talk about them are employed in the company. So they're doing it it with like benevolent intentions. Yeah. They're just trying to help harden defenses. So Mm -hmm. um one might call them like white hats of sorts. Um black hats are attacker hackers that are typically out to get an exploit. Right. So they're not necessarily good.
1: They're the real people out in the world. The bad guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. But when there's also green team, red team (laughs) is like
1: within an organization, but you're sort of like the red team would be trying to simulate what the black hat people might be doing yeah so they yeah.
0: say things like uh, assume i have credentials of a software developer what can i hit inside the company that i shouldn't be touching and they're able to, they're extremely skilled personnel because they're trained not only to attack but also to attack without breaking necessarily so they just want to show evidence enough that they have gotten there without actually ruining you know <laughs> company activity day to day um, which is it's a very fine line to try and draw so I find them as very impressive but then as I was saying so purple team we call ourselves purple because blue usually you're sitting there waiting for alerts you're you're just defending you're responding to what's happening but as a purple team we were proactively trying to figure out how people were attacking or could be attacking and then defending that way so it's a bit of both which is why purple
1: Split base, yeah. Um, cool. Um, yeah. So, what what else have you guys been working on besides the cage challenge? It sounds like, yeah, you you've you've both got your fingers in a lot of pies. There's a lot going on here.
0: (laughs) I mean, you Um, you've just came back from your
2: Yeah, I went to uh, a conference uh, in the US. So, I do um, one of the areas of research that I do is trying to find vulnerabilities in web applications. Right. Trying to use uh, reinforcement learning for that uh so yeah i went to a, a conference
0: one of the best security <laughs> conferences in academia
2: what's it called uh usenix usenix
0: or yeah. usenix depending on Eusenex. who you're talking Eusenex.
2: to yeah i've been told that i, pro- I pronounce it wrong um, <laughs>
0: i've also been told i pronounce it wrong though so all right <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> <At a loss. laughs> uh,
2: for everyone who's listening it's usenix um <laughs> uh yeah so i, I went over there because i uh did some work um with uh some people at Imperial based on trying to find uh, SQL database vulnerabilities in web applications. Uh, we found uh, I think we tested like 11 or uh, 14 different uh, web applications. we found vulnerabilities in five of th- or six of them, including some like if you're familiar with WordPress. we tested it on a bunch of uh, plugins for that and we found I think uh, 33 vulnerabilities. We got some, like, uh, 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 confirmed numbers for them. And then, yeah, we wrote the paper up, and it got accepted there. And so I was, yeah, over there this time last month, I think. What sort of thing
1: counts as a vulnerability?
2: Um, that's a great question. That's a great question. This, <laughs> this is what I spend some of my time working on, especially when it comes to, like, right. access control. Um but for the context of SQL injection and web vulnerabilities, it's like, can I get it to do something which it's not supposed to? Mm-hmm. So if I have a web page and it's like, okay, I'm going to search Amazon for uh, a really good board game um, and I want it to return, I don't know, I really, I, I would name one, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. Um, <laughs> TM. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, Exploding like kittens. <laughs> <laughs> Wingspan. Mon- Monopoly. Monopoly. Oh, I don't know about that. I <laughs> that <laughs> 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 um, but if I wanted to do that, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, um. we don't like Monopoly clearly in this group. <laughs>
2: there shakes of the head going round, yeah. Um, I <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying not to say anything and get back on topic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we can get sidetracked, okay. <laughs> We Have a whole separate discussion about board games. So we won't name the board games, but if you were searching something uh, If that I were doing that, yeah.
2: um then the uh the web form would go and it would query the database and it would get me a list of all the really good board games. Right. It might bring back Monopoly, who knows? Yeah. Um <laughs> And then what I might then try to do with someone who's slightly nefarious is try to get it to do something which it's not supposed to do. So I might try to get it to return like uh, usernames or passwords so I can then do something slightly more right, malicious right. later down the line. So that's like what a vulnerability would be in this case.
1: Mm, OK, yeah. And yeah, presumably most companies and websites, um, uh, you're, you'd have thought by now, like this mature yeah. stage of the Internet would have all of those things locked down you would but... hope so
2: so i we um did like a in as part of the writing of the paper we found out that there was um like 63 percent of web injection vulnerabilities were sql injections um these database vulnerabilities and that accounted for something crazy like six million or six billion in injection on uh, web attacks right uh, in 2020
1: Actually, so I have a a question, which which I think uh, I wonder if you know the answer to this. So of the kind of like vulnerabilities that tend to exist or like the ones you found, are they like known vulnerabilities as in like there are documented ways like they could do something about it and just haven't? Or are they like genuinely you're always coming across new things?
2: Um, So it's a little bit of both. So we um, that there are known ways of protecting against this. And it's usually like, okay, well, don't allow users to input things which they shouldn't be able to input, or uh, use the set way of defending against this, which for SQL injection is something called parameterized queries. And that means that everything is perfectly safe. But the implementation of this is only really as good as the person whose uh, security knowledge it's based on. So you could have a whitelist uh, uh, or a blacklist of things. It's like, don't allow these things. But if I find uh, another way of inputting that thing, which then runs correctly, I've then bypassed what your defensive measures are, and I've been able to do something malicious. Um, or you've just implemented it completely incorrectly, and it's, you've left it completely vulnerable. So it's kind of a combination of both. Um, so you can imagine it as a kind of like a normal distribution where most uh, things and vulnerabilities might be captured in this like large uh, kind of like set in the initial distribution. And then you've got this long tail where there's all this new stuff, which we don't know about yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that that leads me on to an important question, which is, um, you know, when it comes to thinking about how your reinforcement learning agents or, or AI in general might be defending against, um, these kinds of attacks. um What do you think? Are you are you tending to think about the those tail cases or or the not so much the I feel like
0: the tail cases are the fun cases. I but agree. we generally go for where the big bubble is. Yeah, <laughs>
1: the common stuff.
2: Yeah, so the 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 bit of work that or the most of the work that i've done is on trying to find these like more edge case things in a, in a faster way um because it's one of the the interesting things of reinforcement learning is it's really good at searching over these really large vast spaces to find optimal solutions mm.
1: um is that is that more because so we're thinking then because um the solutions to like the common i guess in my language hacking attempts is mm. is sort of mostly known yeah so you have those solutions, but then yeah. So you're you're thinking about how to defend against the the edge cases exactly. So um, a bit of a
0: timeline for you: when a new exploit or vulnerability is identified and it's published, within a few hours you will see a spike in activity. <laughs> within a few days, you'll see it slowly progress into malware, and within a week, it'll be continuously, routinely scanned for and hit on as many things as possible. Right. And that's just kind of like a general timeline that is well known. Um, insert citations here. (laughs) (laughs) So So, so
1: as in say someone comes someone discovers a vulnerability that could be present in lots of different computers or websites or whatever.
0: You're looking at a one week timeline to see
1: when
0: it's gonna really And
1: and malware just as well is like someone's sort of like taken like written some code that's going to do that exploit and like packaged it in a way that like then lots of other people could easily just download and like run you yeah. know without necessarily being a code in themselves although you, i remember you guys using the phrase before
2: script kitty
0: yeah i was yeah. just gonna say <laughs> i'm
2: impressed you remember <laughs> yeah, i'm very impressed <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's the different types of attackers that we typically go for. So what we we're saying were the fun cases were these edge cases. And typically, mm-hmm. that's like a human has been given a very new tool, which is a new vulnerability to exploit or a new way in which this vulnerability could be exploited. Um, And then they are targeting particular companies, resources, etc. And they... Are really hard to catch because they're able to respond in ways that you won't be able to predict as easily, right? Because mm-hmm. they're human, hopefully, yeah. right? Now, when they start using machine learning, we'll never know. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to script kitties or or this kind of like malware that we'll see, there's some ways of catching it and stopping it from at least hitting your resources because they're just running something over and over and over again. They might have a couple random things that they put up. You know, a random number generator to like wait some amount of time before running the next line or um, reach out every 23 minutes, 42 minutes, you know, like random numbers. But there's some kind of regularity between them. So we can start to catch them more easily. That's the bubble part that we're talking about. I see. I see. It's not necessarily bad to target that because it is always changing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people's tactics change with the development of technology i mean how often do we swap out computers and mm. different devices that we use every single day right they're yeah. also trying to adapt so there is some changing but it's slower pace yeah so it's something that we can kind of say look we did it check <laughs> <laughs> and then we could try targeting fun cases which are the ad cases if we mm. have that kind of data
1: so i'm just tr- trying to think like yeah. is there is there a future scenario in the world where instead of the sort of scenario you just laid out where like within a week, lots of people are hit or lots of companies or computers or websites are hit by a new um, piece of malware that's, that's just been never seen before, never seen before that there's the first line of defense, which at least, you know, blocks, you know, X percent of, you know, people who would get hit by that now, which is like, you've always got, this uh, AI network defender that's different from current sort of antivirus stuff in that the current stuff is only going to be doing defending against known attacks, whereas this is going to be like actively, you know, defending against something which it's never seen before potentially.
0: Well, so that's the, I guess to your question before, when you're talking about what, how do we see machine learning being applied in our field? Mm. I think that's why we were so hesitant to say anything, because a lot of the ways in which machine learning is trained right now, it's a lot of, there's a lot of static parts to it. Mm, mm. So I have a data set that I've taken from this time range, and now I've trained this model, and now I'm going to yeah. throw it into a production environment. But in our use case, we always have to think about what would happen in the continually changing environment. So there's some dynamic nature to it. Mm. And it's not just the stochastic nature in the sense of things could randomly occur and randomly not occur. But it's actually, uh, you know, it showed up in 2010 and now we actually still use some of the same base software or something, but we've now added all sorts of things to it. But somehow we've accidentally reopened a trapdoor that was previously blocked, right? So some things can always go back. Um, So there's a few machine learning fields that I've been keeping my eye on because I do see those as being critical for our field. Reinforcement learning being one of them because of the way it's able to dynamically as you said, right, generalize across multiple scenarios and explore really nicely. But there's also active learning or online learning or lifelong learning. It goes by several names, but it's essentially the same thing, Um, where over time, the environment will change. That's the assumption. But the main crux of the problem that they're trying to solve is something called catastrophic forgetting. If I was able to defend against something in the beginning, can I still defend against it after some amount of time? So if I re-see the problem, Mm. right? That's what you want to be able to figure out.
1: Yeah. So so in in this scenario, it's like, yeah, the, the reality of um, computers are being updated all the time. There's new hardware, new software. Yeah. Can the same approaches or can the same agent even continue to defend?
0: Yeah. So not only can I identify it, not only can I remember it over time, but also can I explain why I think I'm good at identifying it?
1: Ah, right. Okay.
0: And that is actually one of the hardest things in cybersecurity. I mean, how many times have we brought up analogies in this conversation already? Yeah. That's That's the hardest
1: thing in AI, really, isn't it? Because...
2: Yeah, trying to explain any of, like, these deep learning black box models.
0: Yeah. um, I would argue cybersecurity is harder. So in some cases, Mm. like healthcare, we have a human nature, like, intuitive understanding of how our body responds and how symptoms relate. So if I have... Mm blood pressure, a heart rate monitor, you know, mm-hmm. all these other measurements, I can kind of understand where a cold is being diagnosed or pneumonia or something like that. And I don't yeah. want to say that like to say these aren't simple, these are simple signals, but I'm saying there's a layer of complexity that in cybersecurity is even harder. I mean, the layperson understanding of what does it mean to be secure, I think has improved tremendously over the last couple of years just by the number of cyber attacks, we as individual people have had to experience, right? I mean, people's data gets stolen all the time. Right. Um, and we see spam emails and et cetera, you know, they're getting a lot smarter than yeah. like, just Nigerian prints or yeah. whatever the original one. I'm, I am probably shouldn't just bring up one example, but um, so for us, right, we were talking about the logs we saw. So for the cage challenge, right? So we saw IP addresses, the names of programs running, but what does that actually mean when I say an attacker has come in, like you hear my language is describing it as if it's an intruder. A very physical person has like knocked down my door. But when you actually look at the logs, it's just numbers and strings that don't quite exactly say that someone is coming in through this door and doing this nefarious thing. We have to find some way of mapping yeah. that language. It and that's why causal learning is, is quite interesting.
1: One one person has run a query, as you were talking about earlier, SQL mm. ch- like they've um they've queried a database, they've got some information from that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, how how is that an attack? But they, but it is an attack in that they've got something that they're not yeah. supposed to have.
2: And then when you try to chain that with like a bunch of other things and there's like stuff in the middle, it's like, how do I know? that what I've got is like, oh, this is clearly an attack that's going on what it's based off of. Mm. It can be difficult to to figure that out.
1: Very complicated. But reinforcement I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna do it. <laughs>
0: it's it's one stone <laughs> in the wall. <laughs> yeah.
1: What what so going back to the, the data quality idea, yeah. um is there a way that you think the field of like AI for cybersecurity can like increase the data quality for what they're using for the training
0: yeah i mean so that's actually so my phd is on um the data quality question right right? yeah yeah. and so one of the ways in which i'm trying to help solve it is by going through not only how do we collect new data Mm. so i'm looking into honeypots and how do we use them but also how do we deploy them so that we can get the data that we need to remove to find honey yes. yeah i have a question What's sorry like? <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> honeypot kind of like a spy movie where there's like some very attractive person at a bar and then secretly trying to seduce the spy and then right. capture them and you know exploit them or something anyways <laughs> yeah um a honeypot is an intentionally vulnerable machine that we leave exposed oh, for attackers I see, I see. to come in and exploit so we can observe what they're doing mm that's how we gather our data right Right. so if i want to say what is the current best ways to defend i can start to say well some percentage of the attacks that we see on this cloud provider are from botnet nodes or from people trying to ssh in or from exploits of wordpress you know we have these kinds of metrics we have to figure out how to collect that data so Mm. by deploying honeypots we try and do that but there's a a lot of considerations because not only do we want them to come in but we want them to not get anything for free and we want to watch them without them knowing so it's right. kind of like going into a safari is how i like to relate it. Yeah, I, was, I was about to ask do you yeah. invite people to this or no so okay. um yeah the honeypots uh might i've deployed uh, have been exploited within two minutes um so that's just leaving but it, like
1: how do people even know that it's there
0: there is continuous scanning on the internet. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> all the time. All the time. So okay. I spun up a, a cloud server and I those come in a set IP range. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are people out there that are continuously scanning that entire range. Right. Looking, knocking on every door. Right. All you have to do is just leave a crack open mm-hmm. and they will push it.
1: And hopefully normally when people are doing that, they you know, they would go by uh, you know, IT security best practices. And so like those really easy things hopefully don't tend to happen. Yeah, but unless... if you've
0: developed a web application or anything yeah. that you've just been prototyping, how many times have you left user and password as the user and password? <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> those right. are the kinds of misconfigurations that are continuously scanned for. I see. Yeah. Wow. Well... <laughs> <laughs> so I, what I one of the things that I was looking into was... Um, A lot of these studies that we do with these honeypots are observational, right? Mm. So we leave a whole bunch, whole bunch being some vague notion, right? Mm. For as long as possible and count how many people have knocked and collect as much data as possible and then train some models on it.
1: Yeah. Okay. But
0: is there some way of interacting with the attackers so that we can actually gain very targeted information? And we could probably do that quicker. Because you need quicker. to know what
1: happens when you're trying to defend against them. But if you're trying to defend against them, they might not do the things that you
0: did want. Or they, what they did before. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of questions that can come up. So that's one of the things that I was looking into. So that's one part of bias. So it's confounding bias. So what I actually took inspiration from was with a conversation with a, a master's student who is studying from COVID days, right? These different clinical trial studies. So in clinical trials, you have this treatment that you're trying to see how well it does at curing a person of a disease of some kind, right? And during COVID, there was such an emergence, right? A need for these to be happen faster. Mm. Yeah, And that clicked, right? For me, when I'm thinking about how much intrusion data do I want to collect, I want to collect as much data very quickly. So I was like, why can't we take these methods and apply them into cybersecurity? And there's a few limitations that are quite interesting, but actually in a really good way, such as a targeted question or hypothesis that has to be answered, right? So a treatment has a certain effect. Can we ask the same kind of questions in intrusion data collection?
1: Can you do a controlled trial for cybersecurity is what you're yeah. asking?
0: Right. And I ran one. Right. How'd it go? <laughs> it was, I mean, it told me something that were I mean it wasn't like obviously new so it's essentially if I accept anyone who knocks on the door with any password versus only just the word password is there a obvious difference and do I see traffic and there is an obvious difference between the two right one is the subset of the other um so that was the part that was a little bit obvious but what was really interesting is we could answer that very quickly within four hours about 40 percent of my honeypots were exploited across the different regions in the U.S. that I was deploying them on the certain cloud provider. Mm -hmm. So that was my first clinical trial study. And now I'm looking at running another one that's a little bit more intense, more along the lines of what Miles is working on, where we have a web application with certain vulnerabilities. And if I remove some of those vulnerabilities, how does that impact the number of attacks that I see? And this is just trying to build up this causal knowledge of how these things relate and what causes the attackers to do certain activities? Assuming that they're you know, kind of the same script kiddies running over and over and over right, again. Right, right, right. Which is a strong assumption, but we <laughs> have to start somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where my work's been taking me.
1: And that's like, so the ultimate outcome of that is really like the data which could then be used. Um, ah, yes. Yeah. So the
0: relation to data quality. Um, if I assume or find that my data is biased in a certain way, one way of undoing some parts of bias or limiting the impact of this bias is by collecting data that would unbias the data set. So, if I say this field should have zeros and ones, but I'm saying 90% are ones and only 10% are zeros, then I would want to collect more zeros, right? So that way I can have a better understanding of the other variables in the data set. So, I don't just say that one is correlated with the other without actually understanding. And the way you do that is by intervening. So I say, I will only collect data where this is zero. And that's kind of what these clinical trials are doing. So I say, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to treat some of these instances, right. some of these honeypots with a certain vulnerability or not treated, right. treat it. And I'm going to intervene and only collect data in that case.
1: Okay. So you end up with a richer data set of like different.
0: And an understanding. Yeah. Yeah. An interventional understanding. Yeah.
1: Well, this is <laughs> this is all really fascinating stuff we're running a bit low on time but um just before we let you go uh Kate and Miles um yeah do you have uh, uh anywhere online that people can find out more about your research or um any final thoughts you want to share with the Turing podcast
2: um yeah i yeah thanks for having us um <laughs> mainly um it's been pretty good so far um <laughs> and- yeah i can be found online with, I think I have a website somewhere. If you search for like just miles slowly I'll, I'll I'll pop up there somewhere. There's one picture that I use for all of my things. So if you find that, you'll find all of the things for me. <laughs> um, Twitter or X, as it's now I suppose known, although I don't really use that anymore. Um, yeah, all the things. Go go read all the papers. They're really great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, same for me. Um, I just want to do one more plug though for on behalf of Chris and Vass on our team, right, for this AI for cyber defense. Group that we've been really excited to be a part yeah. of, um as well as just the defense and security program at the Turing Institute. Um, I'll, uh, a-
1: I'll sing their praises. This is—I is, won't say who said this, but someone else at Turing described your team as the the rock stars of the Turing <laughs> Institute. So, <say>. oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Um. Nice. I mean, you win it. You're out there winning competitions. So, you know. <laughs> well, you can join us. Is what I was yeah. going to say. Um, ah.
0: So they have positions open and a website coming up or should be up already Um,
1: we should say this uh, depends on when this goes out so when when no so
0: at any time just check the website okay yeah Yeah. so they have some positions that end next month and this weekend but yeah
1: but hopefully more in the future there's gonna be more in the future so just keep an eye
0: on the website keep an
1: eye on that and they also be on the turing website Mm -hmm. turing.ac.uk
0: they're also doing funding for project proposals Okay. So, if you have a really cool autonomous cyber defense project and you need funding, you can submit proposals to this event. Maybe even get to talk to them—the real rock stars.
1: Hold on, yeah,
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode. The show is hosted by me, B. Gomes, Ed Calstri Joe Dungate, Christina Last, and Anika York. And the episodes are produced by Luca Lane. Music for this podcast is produced by Jam & Son. You can listen and follow via the link in the description or by searching Jam & Son on Instagram.